and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are broadcasting today again via remote access so that in light of the COVID-19 health emergency, we can maintain our social distancing and still bring you today's show. Please be patient if we experience and when we experience technical glitches. We hope that everyone listening is safe and healthy during what we can and doing what we can to protect ourselves and our communities. Wealth Matters is presented to you by Gasowitz Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your businesses, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gasowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at a state dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Craig Frankel and Adam Gasowitz. Today we are talking about harnessing your family's human and and intellectual capital, the key to sustaining wealth for generations. Now it's my pleasure to introduce our guests. We're pleased to have with us today, uh, Natalie Smales, Senior Vice President and Director of the Center for Family uh, Legacy at Truist Wealth, and uh, Michael Covington, Vice President and Trust Advisor at Truist Wealth. Before we uh, get started, why don't I just have each of you tell our audience briefly uh, uh, who you are and and your background. So uh, Natalie, how about if we start with you? Great. Thanks so much, Adam and Craig. My name is Natalie Smales, and uh, as you described, I'm Managing Director for the Center for Family Legacy. I've had the opportunity to work in this space with the financial industry for 34 years and uh, originally grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and I now reside in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Michael, how about you? Yeah, thanks, Adam. We really appreciate this opportunity to present to your guests and your team and as you mentioned, my name is Michael Covington. I am a trusted advisor here in Atlanta. Been, been with the company for many years. Started my career at Campbell University in North Carolina, coincidentally. Grew up in North Carolina. Uh, have a trust management degree. And I've been in the business a little over 27 years, all in the trust and estate planning space. And so glad to, to be here. Thank you for having us. So let's ask the most fun question, and I'm sure it's an easy question that you can answer so simply. How does a family sustain their wealth for generations? Natalie, why don't you jump in? Well, quite frankly, it's very difficult. You're probably familiar with the statistics, but less than 10% of families are able to pass their wealth through the fourth generation. And the reason being, most folks think it's because of poor tax planning or poor investments. And it's because families break down in communication, which results in not trusting one another. And families also neglect to prepare the next generation to inherit wealth. So when we work with families, we help them to keep lines of communication open, put governance structures in place in the event there is conflict. Um, They have conflict resolution policies, and we really focus on helping to prepare that next generation to be informed and responsible stewards. But it's it's a it's a tough thing for families to do. Well, what we tend to see in our world is uh, a lot of trust planning, a lot of estate planning. People do wills, and they and they do all kinds of sophisticated tax strategies. But that's usually at the the senior generation, the generation that made the wealth. And there's really not a lot of focus, at least from the estate planning world, on the on the values that you pass on to the next generation along with that wealth. Do you, do you deal with that a lot? Yeah, actually, um, we are very process-driven when it comes to working with families. In addition to working around family governance and education, we do a lot of studies around human behavior, family dynamics, multi-generational wealth transfer. And about 20 years ago, we actually did a study 
trying to uncover what activities were these families who were successful at passing wealth doing. And what we were able to find by polling our own families and using outside studies were uh, a number of what we call best practices, things like preserving family history and culture, putting family meetings in place, communicating intentions. A big part of that also was understanding what the family's shared values were. And by bringing families together to a collective table and having them begin conversations around what's important to us and what are our shared values, it really begins to form that glue that keeps the family together over many generations. Do you find that the families have consciously thought about it or just that when you've polled them and talked to them, you know, some values emerge, but it's not really a, a collective sense of what, what the values of the family as a whole are? Actually, what's kind of funny is, and many times it's when I'm working with the children and grandchildren and I say, you know, we're going to do an activity around shared values. They kind of roll their eyes and say, well, I don't have the same values as my brother or sister. And what they're confusing, though, is priorities versus values. So we actually created an assessment that we take families through that helps to really isolate what their personal values are, and then it cross-references and looks at what their shared values are. And then we bring the family together and we talk about those personal and shared values. And then from there, we help facilitate a conversation to help them create, using their values, a family mission statement. Let's get to the nitty gritty. So you're, you're dealing with the families on a regular basis with the trust. How many of your families are actually having these conversations? That's part of the reason we're here, Craig, quite honestly, is that we want more of our families to be having these conversations. So this is for, for Heritage BBT, quite honestly, this is something that we hadn't had availability because it was a SunTrust thing. And so as part of the integration that we've done, it's coming together as truest. This is something that I've had conversations with Natalie, and this is something that we want to make sure we bring to the forefront of our class. So you've got a family and you're, you're dealing with the first generation and they're doing pretty well. and They've got some decent estate planning documents in place. How do you initiate the conversation and suggest to the worker who's really worked hard to build the wealth, but not given a lot of thought as to what happens next? How do you initiate the conversation? Maybe you want to talk about values. It starts, quite honestly, Craig, with a conversation around you know, what are your long-term goals in terms of your, your family? And so talk about the family. And so, so what we see a lot of in our, in our space is to the extent that we want to have a dialogue about a, we, a reason or why to have that be in trust for a long-term, that's when we start the conversation. And then we take it to the next level and say, hey, let's, let's bring the family together. Because oftentimes we're talking to the husband and the wife. And so it, it starts with a conversation with bringing other family members that are part of that equation to make certain that the whole family is looking towards a greater goal. Is that something that, that you're bringing up, uh, either you or, or Natalie, are you bringing it up with the clients or are they coming to you saying, we've got all this money, we've got a will, we've done all the tax planning now, but, but you know, this money is going to get dumped into the hands of our children someday and we're not sure how they're going to be able to handle it. You know, how, how, do, we, how do we deal with that? It, it happens in, in both ways. The majority of time, though, we are bringing up that topic because families just, they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And they think that, you know, this is just going to magically transition and these, this next gen is going to be prepared. And God forbid we talk about it because if that next generation knows what we've created, 
um, they're going to be entitled. And go back um, to the God forbid part, because (laughs) I could see that many families would be resistant. So how do you overcome that resistance? Educating them. You know, the, the whole backbone of what we do is educate, trying to help them understand, talking about making them familiar with the statistics. This is not easy stuff. We always say that governance is not for the faint of heart, but educating them and helping them understand and making sure they recognize you've worked really hard and we want to help you make sure that this continues generation after generation. And there are things that we need to help you put in place in order to ensure that. You talk about governance, Can, just just for the benefit of the audience. How do you how do you differentiate governance from, say, a family office, which is a concept I think a lot of our uh, listeners are familiar with? Right, absolutely. So governance, in its simplest form, is really just making joint decisions around jointly held assets, and that is typically when you think about the the broad brush of a, a family office. You know, there may be a family office that's focuses philanthropy, it could be trust, it could be an administrative, it could be an investment family office. But regardless of that, families need governance structures in place in order to help with when conflict arises or making those decisions together. One of the, one of the most common policies that we help families put in place is a vacation home policy. Think about your own family and you've got, you know, you have your vacation home and somebody forgets to refill the toilet paper or leaves the refrigerator open. You know, we just want to put, help them. Put These are fighting words. Exactly. Exactly. We want to help them put policies in place that keep the guardrails around. Michael, let me, let me ask you a question. When you're talking about, you know, making decisions, the, the first decision, particularly for the second and third generation is, How do I ask and what are the rules for getting money? How do you have that conversation? Well, we first want to refer back to the document, Craig. And so so we want to educate them around how this works and how the process works. I get that question all the time because, quite honestly, people are afraid of giving up control. And so we got to help educate them in terms of how we work together and that I'm here for them. I'm here for the family. I have a family to work with right now. And we're, we're set on the estate. And so we're, we're talking to the, it's a blended family. This is common, of course, in our space. And so we're talking to the stepmother separately. Then we're talking to the children. And so making sure that both parties know how to, how to get in touch with me, how to get in touch with Michael, and how to make their wishes known. And so we're going to have an open dialogue. Most of the time, the documents themselves don't address the sort of the nuances of, of, of using assets. They, they talk about uh, the ability for beneficiaries to, uh, to get distributions of income for, for various uh, specific needs, education, health, things like that, or just distributions of income for them to use as living expenses, but not really you know, when and how to, to give it out or, or, wh- or what they're supposed to do with it. That isn't something you can look to the document for because most estate planners don't add that. Yeah, no, I think we can take it a step further and, you know, particularly with our governance space and talk to the family about how do you sustain wealth? How do you educate the kids in terms of how to transition that to the next generation? And so that's part of the the ask that we're having. That's the part of the the value we bring to the table, because we really do want to get in there and have a more intimate relationship with our our beneficiaries of trust. And, you know, so it's it's fun to educate the the patriots and matriots about what we're going to do long term. And so Truist has been doing this for 275 years. And so, Adam, I think it was you several years ago. You know, I'm a member or I'm a board member of the State Planning Council in North Georgia. And you guys were presenting at one of our meetings. And I asked you specifically, you know, what are the most kind of cases you guys see? And you mentioned to me that 70 percent of the cases you receive 
are from individual trustees and executors. And so we wanna make certain the families understand that the value of a corporate entity provides and brings to the table. And we're gonna be around here for another 275 years as true as as an entity. And so we're gonna be there to walk hand in hand with the family to take them from generation to generation and not have the, the downfall that we see so often in this space. Natalie, you talked about trying to come up with family values and you mentioned the phrase mission statements and vision statements. I mean, I do a lot of nonprofits and I understand how to do those and there's lots of tools. How does a mission statement or a vision statement work for a family and, and how do they even figure out what their common values are? We take them through a process. It's a, uh, a program that we developed that the output creates a report for them that shows their personal values and their shared values. And we have a conversation at the table. Where did this personal value come from? How do you live it out day by day? And then we look at the shared values and the family prioritizes those and then just begins crafting the mission statement that is really the roadmap for the impact that they want to make on their family and their community. And we really encourage, you know, I have matriarchs and patriarchs say, I want to tell my children what my values are. I want them to live these values out. And what I say to them is, you can't do that. You, you can speak to your children about your values, and it's very likely that they have the same. But what you need to do is come collectively together and have those discussions and discover what those that you share and then together create a mission statement. Because if that next generation is not a part of that conversation, there's not going to be any buy-in. Uh, okay, so, so, so let me put you on the spot. Give me okay. an example of a successful mission statement that a family of yours, don't say their name, a, a mission statement that a family of yours has adopted. It wouldn't be adopted. It would be created. They created, okay. Own. Yeah, they create their own mission statement, and um, we have a family who crafted a mission statement around their wealth being a river, and that basically it's for family members to go and, and, and drink from this river, but never to dam it up. So it's very simple. I, I've worked with other families who actually take each value and then write something about that value, and then together it, it's their mission statement. And, and what we encourage families to do, we typically want to meet with our families quarterly. We go back to that mission statement during each meeting and talk about what have you done to live out your mission statement since we last met. And again, it just, it brings the, the family to the table. It creates an environment of togetherness and that's important when you're when you're talking about the, the ultra high net worth and high net worth space. Uh, you're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. Your hosts today are Adam Gasowitz and Craig Frankel from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gasowitz Frankel. We are talking with Natalie Smales, Senior Vice President and Director of Governance, Truist Wealth, and Michael Covington, Vice President and Trust Advisor with Truist Wealth. And we're talking today about harnessing your family's human and intellectual capital, the key to sustaining wealth for generations. Michael, let me ask you. So there's an old joke that you can't tell people what to do. You got to walk the walk and show them. But really, there's a disconnect. Oftentimes, the earning generation, the first generation, has spent so much time creating the wealth that maybe they haven't walked the walk or been able or had the time 
to, to teach the values that they care about to their children and to the next generation. So, so tell me how you counsel or talk to an earning generation to kind of change the view to where, wait a second, let's think about how you lead by example. That's a great question, Craig. And so one of the ways we do that is just getting with the families periodically, maybe on an annual basis, and talk about, you know, how are we going to move the money to the next generation? And so having a dialogue about, again, about the, the ins and outs, I think a lot of times what happens is our clients assume that the biggest challenge that they face is the investment strategies and the investment functions. So that's a component of it. But quite honestly, we need to take it deeper. And so I was meeting with a family just yesterday and we said, you know, let's take a look at your, your own individual estate plan and how are you going to move your wealth to the next generation? So even in talking to the patriarch and matriarch, perhaps they have their estate plan in place, but quite oftentimes the kids haven't really given consideration to that. And so it starts that dialogue about where are you in your, in your own earnings wealth and how, where are you in your wealth transition and how does it fit in, in the entire family equation? And so, you know, as, as truest, we're going to talk about, you know, we're a bank first and foremost. And so we're going to bring all those things to the table. Is it a, is it a risk management discussion that we need to have? Or is it, you know, how do you, how do you leverage your wealth uh, in terms of making the most of, of that? And so we're going to bring the full breadth and depth of what Truist has to offer to the client. And we're going to address them and meet them where they are. How do you avoid creating, um, you know, the so-called trust babies, uh, kids who are, you know, the, the succeeding generations of the wealth creators who, who, um, who become uh, wedded to living off of a trust, who don't really sort of realize their full potential? How do you avoid that when you're passing on wealth and, and trying to leave this legacy for your family? So, so, Adam, I think that's actually one of the biggest fears that our clients have is I don't want to create a, a trust baby. And so someone that lives off that. And so I think the, the disconnect is we say these things, but we don't take action to address them. And so to the extent that we're bringing in family governance and talk about as a family unit, you know, how, do you, how do you solve for that equation? And so we, we, we leave it a chance quite often. So we assume uh, the best is going to, the best outcome is going to happen, but we have to be purposeful about sustaining wealth and, and wealth transfer. And so we have to have a dialogue with not only the parents, but also with the kids in terms of how do you, how do you avoid that scenario? Because what, what oftentimes we see, particularly in will-based plans, where, you know, we haven't had a dialogue or you haven't had a dialogue with your, your wealth manager, perhaps. And so the trust is only coming to existence whenever someone passes away. And so we want to make sure. And let's let's identify for our listeners. When we say that means that the earning generation died. And, and so you're really starting this, this, this process after the first generation dies. That's a different world. And I just want the listeners to understand that. Thank you, thank, thank Greg. And so that's a very good point. And so we want to make certain we have that dialogue earlier in the process. We don't want to assume that we're going to start that because money is, is, is something that we is sometimes taboo and they, people don't want to talk about it. And so we got to be willing to commit to putting the, the, all our cards on the table and having a dialogue up front. What we've seen in some of our research is that most of these, these things that derail the family wealth transfer is around communication. And so it's like any other relationship. We've got to have this dialogue about you know, what our money means to us as a family and, and we not be you know, hoarding our, all our cards to ourselves and, and not having that, that dialogue. So that do, do, you, do, you, do you see periodically families who come to you and, and don't want the next generation and know about all the wealth? Absolutely. We see this all the time. You know, I got I got situations where I have a 
a, a patriot that doesn't even want his wife to know how how, how wealthy he is. And so, so, so we gotta we gotta break down those walls and show there's value in in educating your family about you know how much is there. You know, I was meeting with a family a few weeks ago, and and she's the next generation, and she said, "Well, I don't even want my kids to know how much is in this trust." You know, so let's talk let's talk in percentages, let's talk in numbers, and so we have to walk that fine line. And so that happens all the time, Adam. So my, in my family, it's not talking about how much wealth we have. It's, it's the embarrassment of talking about how much wealth we don't have. But, <laughs> but Natalie, you had mentioned talking about uber wealthy and, you know, these are families yet, you know, it, it takes time to become uber wealthy and many of us won't become uber wealthy. When should we start as you're growing in your life and you're earning? When should you start and how do you start to have this conversation? You may not be uber wealthy yet. Instead, you're just starting to create family wealth, but you're hopefully, if you're successful, you're going to start developing it and you're going to be a more normal wealthy family. How do you start that process and when do you start that process? The earlier you, earlier you start, the better. You know, think of as a parent acting as a role model. Our children watch everything we do and that includes how we spend money, how we save money. And we just, we encourage that education. Unfortunately, children don't get education, you know, through school. Only less than 12% of schools offer anything around financial literacy. So, you know, one of the, one of our offerings, we actually start with children as, as young as five years old and start with the basic concepts of spending and saving and giving and investing. And we make it fun. Uh, we use games. We use programs like Lemonade Tycoon and Roller Coaster Tycoon to help them understand the concept of entrepreneurship. But parents really need to understand that they have the opportunity to embrace what we call teachable moments. When you use a credit card, make sure that your son or daughter doesn't think that that's just money that appears. Explain to them that at the end of the month, mom gets a bill and I have to pay this company back. So we really encourage, think about those teachable moments. We work with children a lot on spending plans. We focus on needs versus wants, helping them to understand that. We go into as they become young adults and adults the psychology of money. Where did your money history come from? What do you mean by money history? Um, how did you first start learning about money? Um, did you hear mom and dad arguing because mom spent too much or, or they can't pay the bills? And how does that impact the way that you see money? So let me, let me switch gears a minute. Um, we've been talking of the traditional family mostly where the mom and dad are the matriarch or patriarch. And yet, in our world, and certainly in the world that Adam and I see with family conflicts, most families are not ultimately going to be a traditional family. They're going to be a blended family. Um, there's going to be divorces and deaths and remarriages, sometimes two and three and four times. How do you have conversations with blended families where, in fact, the families may not totally get along or there may be some level of distrust? Now, when we actually have a situation where we're working with a blended family and it has to start at the top, you know, the matriarch and patriarch, it, just like Michael said, it, it really depends on what it does. Is this transfer going to look like? Is it going to include cross-pollinating those families together? Is there, are there going to need to be conversations where they do have to get along or is it a straight out distribution where those conversations don't have to take place? 
but each family is unique and the conversation around how that's going to work is going to be based on what that family's goals are. Are they going to blend the assets or are they not? What do you do with families where, um, in addition to being blended, you've got multiple generations of kids with different parents or different partial, partial families, step, step siblings, uh, half siblings. Uh, sometimes there are many years apart in age. So you may have children who are in their thirties and children who are, you know, five and six years old because of the way the families are structured. How do you deal with that across, you know, a, a single estate plan? Quite honestly, it, it is different. So we're having separate dialogues with each family unit to make certain that their plans are consistent with what they want to have accomplished. It, it's challenging to have someone that's in their, you know, even in their 30s or 40s, to have that dialogue about wealth transfer because they really haven't reached that stage to where they're, they're assuming they're, they're going to live forever, quite honestly. And so we want to make certain that we're, we're still bringing that to the forefront and saying this is something that your parents have already done. And this is how we want to bring you along in, in, that, in that transition of your wealth. And so having a, a separate dialogue, quite honestly, is with each family member to make certain that we're accomplishing that. You listen to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We're your hosts, Adam Gaslowitz and Craig Frankel from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We're talking today with Natalie Smales, Senior Vice President and Director of Governance at Truist Wealth, and Michael Covington, Vice President and Trust Advisor at Truist Wealth. And our topic today is harnessing your family's human and intellectual capital, the key to sustaining wealth for generations. A lot, a lot of trusts that we see uh, provide that the income is distributed to the kids, but not necessarily the principal. But when you're dealing with very large estates, just the income alone is, is substantial enough for the kids who are receiving it not to necessarily have to work. And, and that sometimes creates the, a problem parents want to avoid where your kids are not incentivized to have a productive life. Is that part of the educational process that you deal with when you're doing family governance? When we are doing family governance, typically what's top of mind is that education. And when we work with children, one of the areas that we work is personal and professional development and helping them to find their own passions. Something that comes up frequently is when these families are in that ultra high net worth space, they have a philanthropic endeavor. Perhaps they created a family foundation. And a lot of times, this is a space where that next generation wants to be active. This is where they want to participate. So maybe they don't want to be a part of the family business, but they want to be a part of the impact that their family can make on their community. So educating them around that. But really, we work very, very hard to help these children find their own passion outside of their family's money. And again, we'd like to start young. We'd like to help them become informed and educated within their own space. Uh, again, not just relying on that check that comes in the mail. Well, let's talk about philanthropy, because when we see this, it really is a wonderful entry point for family members from first generation to fifth generation. It's a great entry point. But many times the first generation was so focused on building the business They didn't have the time to to be intentional in their philanthropy. So how do you or should you or can you use philanthropy as a way to bring in the next generations? So one of the things we're trying to do in Atlanta is make certain that we do channel our clients to, you know, to the extent they're terribly inclined, we want to make certain we're having that dialogue. And that's something that I feel very strongly about, because I think that's one of the ways that, you know, as truest. One of our missions and goals is to build better lives and communities. And so we want to build those better communities where we live and work. And so I, I see this as an opportunity for 
our clients in particular in the ultra high net worth space to add value and to build up their communities and so to use their dollars to their philanthropic endeavors. And so to the extent we can have that, that dialogue, that conversation <laughs> with them about how to accomplish that, that's something that we're very passionate about. And one of the projects that we probably are going to have the opportunity to work on this year is we had a matriarch come to us and they have established a family foundation. And one of the things that she does is when her grandchildren are 16 and 17, she brings them on as junior board members and has them go out and do site visits. And then they have to come back to the board with a specific entity that they would like the trust, the family foundation to make a distribution. We were having a conversation and she said, you know, I've done such a good job of helping them understand how to make a bequest but I haven't done a good job understand the responsibility of, of being fiscally responsible as a board member. And can you create a program that will educate them around that and then transition to their own personal fiscal responsibility? So, you know, we love the opportunity to work with families to help them prepare that next generation to be good board members and good stewards of that philanthropic endeavor. And then we also want to educate, quite frankly, the matriarch and patriarch around the fact that, you know, these children may have that same value of giving back, but they may choose to do it in a different way. So, you know, they may have a different preference, but they have that same value. Um, And sometimes that's a, a hard obstacle for parents. They think, well, I only want to benefit the uh, Fulton County Hospice or, you know, the American Cancer Association, where the children want to do something more on a a local uh, level because they want to see an impact in their own personal community. So just continuing that education, both parents and children, they have the same value, but they express it in a different way and have a different preference. Do you sometimes find that your clients and, and their families come to you with uh, the next generation's values already, already fully formed for better or worse? They're, you know, some of them may already be spendthrifts or some of them, you know, some of the kids may um, uh, have troubled marriages or be on their second or third marriage. And they, they've, they've already uh, sort of established a pattern of behavior that is difficult to undo. We do. And, you know, there are times when we can't be of help and we will tell families, you know, this is a situation where we really can't help. And, you know, perhaps family therapy is a better option to address those types of issues because we never want to go in and do more harm. We always want to go in and help benefit the family. Let's kind of go full circle. We opened the show and we talked about family governance. And in today's political world, when you use the word governance, somehow many find that offensive and say, how, you know, no one governs, why should a family govern? How do you talk to a family about what governance is? Because it's different than what we think about, like the joke I just said, or tried to say. Yeah, I, I just, I'm a keep it simple person. So I just talk about the mere fact of governance is just making decisions together. And, and it's, it's difficult to do. You have family history, you have family dynamics, but creating a forum where the family can collectively come together and have discussions is a much easier conversation than trying to, to talk about family governance and using that term. And we, quite frankly, we have a family we work with that says, don't use that term. Don't use governance. I don't like that word. So you present it in a different way. 
So, Michael, we're, we're kind of getting near the end of the show. So here's a fun thing. Tell me one of the what, uh, a family kind of that got together that wasn't doing well and a success story where you were able to say to this family, maybe if you just talk and come up with a mission statement. So do you have a success story? And if not, do you have a horror story about how families can succeed? Yeah, I probably have more horror stories than I do success stories. That's why we're so good with your firm, right? Uh, <laughs> but so one of the things I can tell you, so I had a family several years ago. That's not a horror story, but and we do this quite all the time. And so we sit down with the family, the patriarch and the and we say, hey, let's take a look at your estate planning document and make certain they're going to accomplish your interjection. Because quite honestly, that's one of the things that we, we see problems with in families, that they've created some documents. And they don't really know what's there. They don't really know how it's going to play out. And so a lot of my job day to day is is helping folks understand, educate them how it's going to play out. And so in having this dialogue with his family, we discovered that what they had in their documents wasn't one they wanted to have accomplished at all. And so we began having another dialogue with them and say, this is how truest can play a role in your family wealth transfer over multiple generations. And these folks were charitably inclined and they had charitable trust written into their their structure. And so we want to show value in how do we, we get that done. And so uh, unfortunately in this situation, we weren't able to kind of put all the pieces together because the, the patriarch passed away before it, it, it came to fruition. And so that's somewhat of a, it's not a horror story, but it's a way that, you know, we want to make sure we're having these dialogues with our clients as soon as possible uh, because we don't know what tomorrow holds and we want to make certain that we can, we can get in there and help the families the way we intended to. Natalie, how about you? Success story or horror story? Well, I, I like to focus on the positive, so success <laughs> stories. Um, actually have had the opportunity to work with a family where there was discord, but we were able to get each family member to agree that it was important. Their parents had worked so hard to generate this wealth. Um, it was important for them to take steps to um, be successful over multiple generations. And, you know, and we're still working with that family and helping them overcome the obstacles that many years it took to get to the place that they are. So we talked to them about the fact that it's going to take time for us to undo what's gone on. But they're having great conversations and talking as a family about what they want to achieve from a philanthropic standpoint and then how they want to support the next generations with the wealth that they've, uh, that they've accumulated. So picking up something that was sour and, and now making it sweet. Before we wrap up, how about if I have each of you just tell our listeners how they can reach you if they want to get a hold of you. Michael, how about you first? Yeah, so I'm, I'm here in Atlanta. So my email address is mcoviton, C-O-V, as in Victor, I-N-G-T-O-N, at truest.com. Truest is spelled T-R-U-I-S-T. Dot com just for our, for your listeners. And then you can reach me by phone, of course, 404-720-8346. And then, of course, of course go to tourist.com, and you can find more information about what we're doing as a company and how we're moving uh, families forward. And Natalie, how about you? Same for me, natalie.smales, S-M-A-I-L-E-S at truest.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn or uh, phone number 919 and as we wrap up our show, I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gaslowitz Frankel, please go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Natalie Smales, Senior Vice President and Director of Governance at the, say it again, Natalie? 
Center for Family Legacy at Truswell. There you go. <laughs> and um, and Michael Covington, Vice President and Trust Advisor at Truist Wealth. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X. Thank you.